Except the praise I bring. Our praise is so tainted with sin and so blotted with our lives. How can he accept the praise we bring? Through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us about New Testament worship. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. How are we holy priests and members of a holy priesthood? How can it be that we're part of a spiritual house and we can offer up spiritual sacrifices like the praise and singing and psalm that we just did and it is acceptable to God and it tells us how and why by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death on the cross secured the pleasing sacrifice to God that makes all of our sacrifices acceptable to Him. All we do is bring the praise of our lips, the fruit of our lips, giving praise to His name. Jesus did all the hard work. We get to benefit from all that finished work by bringing acceptable sacrifices of a different order. Please turn your Bibles to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. We are here today because we claim to be Christians. We're Christians because we have sworn allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, in His divine nature, is the eternal God. John starts out by giving us three verses to that, that fact. And then tells us a couple of other things before he introduces John the Baptist in the sixth verse. I read to you these first five verses. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Amen and amen. What is the evidence that shows you to be different from the darkness of this world. What is the evidence from this text that shows you to be different from the darkness of this world? It is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to see His light and to embrace that light and run to that light and run away from darkness in your life. We want to walk in the light as He is in the light. 1 John 1, read to us by Daniel. We want to flee the darkness of this world in their thinking, their lifestyle, their conversation so that we can have the evidence that we are the children of God in the light, pursuing the light, with the light in us, showing us how we should walk. And that light is because of His life in us. And so the light and obeying the light becomes the evidence of eternal life, which we know from many other places as well. John's purpose in writing this gospel, John's purpose in writing his epistle, the first epistle in particular, was to comfort us about eternal life. Look at John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31 which tell us why John wrote. We want to know the reason why he wrote so that we can better appreciate these first five verses. John chapter 20 and verse 30. And many other signs. John only records about eight miracles. And many other signs. Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples... So there were eyewitnesses of the events, 
which are not written in this book. They are written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. The evidence of eternal life, knowing that you are in possession of eternal life, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. As the Son of God, He is the Mighty God. He is the Everlasting Father. Because Isaiah 9, 6 tells us, For unto us a child is given, and unto us a son is born. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is the proper understanding of the Son of God. It is Jesus of Nazareth, with a birth certificate 2,000 years old in His combined nature. And He is eternal God, the mighty God, the everlasting Father in His divine nature. John is writing for us to believe these facts about Jesus of Nazareth and thus know that we are in possession of eternal life. Back to John chapter 1. He is also writing to refute heretics and their heresies about Jesus Christ. Thus, this past Wednesday evening, we had a Bible study entitled, The Christ Wars. And they are a set of slides that very briefly and simply survey history for the last 2,000 years from the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, and then through history of the different heresies that have risen about the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, what a powerful and profound way to start His Gospel. Taking us back to a time before any time. In the beginning, before Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, as I said a couple Sundays ago, when there was only a non-universe. Just think about it any way you wish. There was no universe. The heavens and the earth had not been created. There was no time as we know it. There was eternity in the beginning. I am that I am existed independent of all others. He only is God. And He is our God. He is the Lord Jehovah. It references eternity. Those first three words. In The beginning, where there was no time. Since existence before creation is eternity, then Jesus Christ is eternal God. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. This is verse 14. It's a couple Sundays away. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. No one had seen the Son of God until Jesus of Nazareth was seen on this earth. Jesus of Nazareth was not appointed to His work by God until His baptism, when He was anointed with the Holy Ghost to enter upon His public ministry. And He was declared to be the Son of God by the Father out of heaven. And the Spirit descended in the form of a dove and abode upon Him. In the beginning, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, But, the same verse that the Jewish scribes gave to Herod as to where Jesus would be born, out of one of the little towns of Judea, Bethlehem of Ephratah, is Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It also says of him that his goings forth have been of old, because he is the Ancient of Days in his divine nature. What a Savior we have! What a man! Walked on this planet 2,000 years ago. What a man ascended up into heaven and was received as the Lamb of God and was received as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and took the book of the everlasting covenant out of the hands of our Father in heaven and tore the seals off that book and immediately there is a new song sung in heaven about redemptive salvation being finished by this one. John wept. 
that there was no man found in heaven, earth, or under the earth that could open that book in our Father's hand, Almighty God, but the Lord Jesus Christ prevailed to open that book. And your name is in that book if you're one of His. And if your name isn't that book, you don't care about what I'm preaching, and I want to give you a little surprise. I don't care about you. Because all I care about are the children of God. All Paul cared about were God's elect. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. And that's what we all ought to be concerned about. And anyone that wants to mock the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a word for you. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Cursed at the coming of the Lord. And we shall all laugh with him against you, just like the Israelites laughed and danced on the shore of the Red Sea as Egyptian bodies floated up to shore. We know that the gospel of Jesus Christ will only be received by those that he has given eternal life to that are his elect. When we think about the words in the beginning, no one has loved you from the beginning. The person that's loved you the longest has only loved you for a few days. Even if it's 80 years, it's only a few days. But God set His everlasting love upon us from eternity in the Word of God that would become His Son, and He did so by covenant. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world when neither Christ nor we existed as the Redeemer. But we were chosen in the everlasting covenant that the Word of God would take on human flesh and would be Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Anointed One of God. He has loved us with an everlasting love. The whole world and the universe is winding down, but before it was even created, God knew you, knew your name, put your name in the book of life, and committed Himself to your everlasting redemption. Unbelievable. Fabulous news. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. In the infinity of eternity, without a universe, without time, without creatures, He committed to save you from eternity with eternal life. And His name is the Word of Life. And His name is eternal life in 1 John 1-2. When you close a prayer, when we close a prayer and we say, In Jesus' name, do you know what name you're invoking? The name of the Word of God made flesh. The devils tremble. The devils in Acts chapter 19 said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but you religious imposter, using both of their names, who are you? And one devil-possessed man stripped seven of those exorcists, and they ran naked out of that house. This is the Lord Jesus we worship. The devils tremble. They ran and fell at the feet of the Lord Jesus when He was on earth in His state of humiliation. They worshipped Him. We know who Thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Art Thou come to torment us before the time? They know what He's going to do to them. And they worshipped Him in spite of knowing what He's going to do to them. That is a pretty unique combination. And that's the devils. The devils show us what kind of dread there ought to be toward the Lord Jesus Christ as the coming judge. But He's not so much coming as our judge, but as our Redeemer. When He appears that day, according to 2 Thessalonians 1, we shall adore Him. Because He's our Savior. Brethren, when you're overwhelmed, there's one that isn't overwhelmed. It's the Word of God made flesh. He was tempted in all points like as you are, yet without sin. In the beginning was the Word. Note the Holy Spirit's Word. The Holy Spirit's Word is Word. It is not Son. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, it was not the Son. It was the Word. Do not get confused by the confusion of weak, demented, blinded, Greek Gnostic minds. In the beginning was the Word. The Word had to become flesh in order to be the Son of God, as verse 14 teaches us. The God of the Bible, Jehovah, is the self-existent one. I am that I am. 
He inhabits eternity from everlasting to everlasting. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was. Because the Word was Jehovah. I am that I am. Jesus Himself would say in John 8.58, Before Abraham was, I am. That's an interesting use of verbs. Abraham was 2,000 years B.C. before Christ. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am. He's the Word of God. He is the eternal God. And because the Word became Jesus Christ, we can say of Jesus Christ, He is the eternal God. We can say of Jesus Christ, He is Jehovah. We can say of Jesus Christ, He is, I am that I am. My Lord Jesus Christ will take care of all Jehovah's Witnesses who say anything to the contrary. And He's your Lord Jesus Christ as well. And the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Note the Holy Spirit's choice of words. The Word, not the Son, was with God. There wasn't, God did not have a son in eternity. When you look at places like Proverbs chapter 8, and it said, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his ways. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. Please, please, understand the simple little figure of speech called personification. In Proverbs chapter 8, from verse 1 to verse 36, plus most of chapter 9, plus some of the chapters before chapter 8, Solomon has personified wisdom as a woman. And it is a woman in Proverbs chapter 8 that God possessed in the beginning of His ways, that He used in the creation of the world. Jesus Christ wasn't there as His little girl. It's feminine. It's feminine. Wisdom was there as Lady Wisdom. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is proof of the Trinity, by having God with God. Because it goes on to say in the third clause of verse 1, and the Word was God. Well, if the Word was God, and the Word was with God, then there is at least a duality in the Godhead. And we know that plurality from other places in Scripture, like Genesis chapter 1. Let us, plural, make man in our plural image, like Genesis chapter 11. Let us go down and see what men are doing with this tower of Babel, like Isaiah chapter 6. Who will go for us and whom shall we send? Plural pronouns referring to God. But all they show so far is at least a duality in the Godhead. So we come to the New Testament and it declares to us a trinity. Three persons in the Godhead. And we love 1 John 5, 7, especially because scholars hate it. Not truly especially, but uh, you know what I mean when I say that. We're thankful that they hate the verse. And we're thankful that they don't believe it belongs there. Because we know it belongs there. And there's every form of evidence to prove that it belongs there. Every form of historical, manuscript, commentary, accepted church usage of that verse long before Erasmus in the 16th century. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. We already know that Jehovah God is a plural Godhead. That verse tells us there are three persons in one Godhead. We know that also from John 1 and the middle clause, the Word was with God. So in the beginning was the Word. Eternal God was with God, showing a trinity, was God, showing the full deity of the Word of God, the same was in the beginning with God, showing that He was unbegotten, underived, not emanated. Whatever God is, in the first verse, the Word was God. 
Whatever God is, the Word was that God, and was with that God, and was in the beginning eternal like that God. He could not be begotten by that God, because in the beginning, He was with that God, and He was that God. From the first three verses, we learn these facts. First, by the first phrase of verse 1, in the beginning, we learn the words eternal existence. Second, by the second phrase, we understand He is a distinct Godhead person, and there is a trinity from the Word was with God. Then we learn that He is God like the God He was with. And so there cannot be a difference between the God He was with and the God that He was. They're both unbegotten God. I'm so sick of those slides I had to show you on Wednesday evening. Didn't it make you nauseous to see the Nicene Creed of a council convened by the emperor of pagan Rome? If you think you want to call Constantine a Christian, I would like you to do a half an hour of research about Constantine. And find out how many family members he murdered after he said he was a Christian. I want you to find out what he believed about baptism. And why he would not be baptized until he was on his deathbed. And how much understanding he had. He wanted baptism when he was on his deathbed to make sure that there hadn't been any sins that baptism wouldn't wash away. He was a very understanding man of the Word of God. I speak as a fool. Go do your research about him. Third, the third phrase of that first verse, we know that he is God like the God he was with. Thank you, Lord, for wording it the way you have here. Fourth, by the second verse, we know that the Word was eternal, like the God He was with. He was not begotten, emanated, proceeding from, or in any other way, shape, or form different than the God He was with. He was that God, and He was with that God. The Trinity as we know it. There are three, and they are one. Fifth, by the third verse, we know that the Word is uncreated and the Creator of all things, because everything that made Everything that was made was made by him. It was not made by any other. So Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses fails again because of that third verse. He believes that Jesus was a created being. And the Word was God. The Holy Spirit did not say the Son was God. The Holy Spirit said the Word was God. The Holy Spirit did not say the Word was a God. Like Origen... The Arians and Jehovah's Witnesses say, the Holy Spirit did not say in that first verse, the Word was a begotten God, as the Roman Catholic Church and all those claiming creeds that come from her say. The Holy Spirit did not say the Word was an aeon of God, as the Gnostics teach. The Holy Spirit did not say the Word was an emanation of God, as Plato taught. The Word was God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Word of God, with God, was God, is God, is Jehovah God. No compromise to His nature. The relational terms of God, Word, and Holy Spirit are not of the nature of the Godhead. They are of the relationship of the Godhead to you and to me. God is the Father of the Word made flesh. God is not the Father of the Word. The Word is not the Son of the Father. The Word made flesh is the Son of the Father. These distinctions are simple. They're powerful, they're profound, and they rule out so many heresies. Lord, help us to always remember them. Jesus Christ's Sonship is clearly stated in verse 14, so everything that we have just covered in verse 1 applies to Him, because it was the Word made flesh. Jesus is eternal God. Let's come to verse 3. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now remember, Jesus is being talked about here by our brother John. Because this is the Word made flesh. In His divine nature, Jesus created all things. When we say, in Jesus' name, Amen. We are invoking the name of the Creator of heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, 
created the universe. Because Jesus has as his name, Emmanuel, God with us. So when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, though he is a man, and though he was a man for the last 2,000 years, and he sits at God's right hand, and we shall behold him with our eyes. Though he is a man in his divine nature, he is the word of God, creator of heaven and earth. From our perspective on this side of Christ, we know that Jesus created all things in His divine nature. Facts about one nature may not be true of the other nature, but are true of the combined Lord together. Do you know what I just said to you? Facts about one of the dual natures of Jesus Christ may not be true of the other nature, but it's true of the combined being that we call Jesus Christ. For instance, the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom. But the Bible also says that in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. My question to you, which is true? Thank you. Yes, they're both true. Because in His divine nature, He had all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In His human nature, He was limited. Do you know that Jesus Christ Himself said in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and other places, that even the Son of Man did not know the time of His coming? That's pretty bizarre. I don't know when I'm coming back. But only the Father. Because all He's referring to His human nature did not know, and the Father, His divine nature, did know. And so He grew in wisdom as a man, because he, he was 12 years old, and we read in Luke chapter 2, and it says he grew in wisdom and in stature. He was growing in stature. God doesn't grow in stature. God fills heaven and earth. Yet Jesus Christ did because of his human nature. Amen. Did Jesus Christ make all things, or was Jesus Christ himself made? Yes, both are true. He made all things because this verse here tells us He did. And other verses tell us the same thing. But the Bible also tells us that He was made of a woman. He was made of the seed of David. He was the holy thing that was to be born of Mary. Luke 1.35 right. Do we understand these things? Yeah. We have a Savior that is like us with a, hum- a full human nature. Body and spirit. A full human nature, but he also has joined with him the eternal God in the person of the Word of God. And so he is the God-man. And we can we can read things about him. He thirsted on the cross. When was the last time, do you think, the divine nature of Jesus Christ was thirsty? When was he ever tired? Only in his human nature. We want both natures, brethren. We want both natures. Job asked for there to be a daysman between God and him that could put one hand on God and one hand on us and be a mediator. The Bible tells us that there is one mediator between God and men. It's not Mary and it's not Pope Frank. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and men. Can he put a hand on God? He is God. Can he put a hand on us? He is us. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He can be touched with all the feeling of our infirmities. What a Savior we have. What should these verses mean to you so far? Jesus Christ and His divine nature has been fully defined for you to believe Him exactly as He is. You may put your full trust in Him, the Son of God, able to deliver you from all trouble. He committed by covenant in eternity past to fully redeem you as a son of God. His incarnation in joining human flesh was for no other purpose than your salvation for God's glory. The full Godhead is committed to redeem you without any possibility of failure. That's where our salvation rests. Jesus must be Jehovah because the Bible says over and over that Jehovah created all things. 
Well, now if it says right here, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and we know that who's under consideration here is the word that became flesh in verse 14 as the Son of God named Jesus of Nazareth, then Jesus made all things. But the Bible says Jehovah made all things. Therefore, Jesus equals Jehovah. Amen, yes. Do you know where the Jehovah's Witnesses got their name? Let me show you. It's Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is Jehovah's Witness. Who declared God to the world? Jesus did. He's the light of the world. We know Jesus is Jehovah. They deny that Jesus is Jehovah. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We're Jehovah's Witnesses. Because we're witnessing Jehovah in His Son. They deny that. Jesus is a created God. A God. A begotten God. Here's where the Jehovah's Witnesses got their name. They, uh, they, they took it. They stole it. Out of the Bible, in verses 10 through 12 of Isaiah 43. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. When we have the Lord in our King James Bible, in all capital letters like this, what does it mean? It means Jehovah. It is the Hebrew tetragrammaton of four consonants representing I am that I am. Ye are my witnesses, saith the great I am that I am, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Interesting how they have gods formed after him. The A-God of John 1.1. I, even I, am the Lord, Jehovah, I am that I am, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared, and have saved, and I have showed. When there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Now these words by Isaiah are to the nation of Israel because the Lord Jehovah had had such open, plain, personal, intimate dealings with them. And so they were truly the witnesses of Jehovah, especially in the light of these wonderful chapters of the 40s of Isaiah. If you're ever discouraged and want the Lord to lift you up by His boasting of Himself, it's the chapters called the 40s in the book of Isaiah. Because God boasts of Himself in these ten chapters, or eight or nine, from 41 to 48, like nowhere else in the Bible. There is no other God beside me. I alone have declared the end from the beginning. I've told you things before they came to pass. Tell me, is there another God that can do anything like that? And we know there is no other God that can do that. What being can tell the future and bring it to pass? Our God. What's the big event of these eight or nine chapters? The coming of Cyrus, the Persian, to overthrow Babylon and to deliver the church of God back to Jerusalem. He's named here. Isaiah 44 and 45 name Cyrus. 150 years before, he was born. That in one night, he would take the impregnable city of Babylon, all of its moats, all of its walls, all of its hanging gardens, all of its water supply by the Euphrates River in one night. While Belshazzar toasted his gods with the vessels of gold out of the temple of Jehovah. Okay. Verses 10 through 12 are where they get their name. You should just read some of the verses around this about what it says about the Lord. Let me show you just a couple. Chapter 42, leading into this chapter, verses 5 and 6. Thus saith God the Lord. What do you think a New World translation uses here for the word Lord? Jehovah. Oh, yes. Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. 
And so there is a verse about God being the Redeemer, saving His people, but He created the heavens and the earth. That's in chapter 42. There's so many references about this fact of God declaring Himself as Creator. God the Lord. God Jehovah. Look at chapter 44. The chapter following their chapter, supposedly. Verse 23. Saying, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Notice creation in chapter 44, creation in chapter 42. You open up chapter 43, the first verse, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee. So Jehovah is the creator. 42, 43, 44, and countless other chapters in Isaiah and Jeremiah. But John 1, 3 says all things were made by him. By whom? By the word made flesh. I ask again, by whom? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is Jehovah. From their own passage. Jesus is Jehovah. Because He's creator of all things. And in these chapters of Isaiah, Jehovah is creator of all things. And the only way it works, Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. The Word of God is the uncreated creator God of all things. Verse 3 of John 1. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So he's uncreated, but he's created everything else. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. They can talk about Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, all they want, but we know that Jesus is Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, and he is the Lord Jehovah. The preeminence of our religion. What did Buddha create? I heard a mess. What did Confucius create? confusion. What did Vishnu create? 329,999 329,999,999 other deities. What did Joseph Smith create? Who do you want as the founder of your religion? What did Mohammed, the illiterate traitor of the Arabians, create? He's the founder of their religion. They used to be called Mohammedans because they're followers of Mohammed. What are we called? Christians. Who are we following? Jesus the Christ. Even in their own writings, Islam knows that Mohammed didn't create anything. Even in their own writings, Buddha didn't create. Who's the founder of our religion? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We get baptized in his name and take his name upon us. Who is he? He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the Lord Jehovah. I am that I am. We have a decent religion. I speak as a fool. It's unbelievable. The founder of our religion is creator of heaven and earth. When the Bible says Emmanuel, God with us, it means the creator of the universe was with us for 33 and a half years. Okay, verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The Word of God Himself is the Word of life. When you go to 1 John, same writer, same author, the Holy Spirit, but same writer, the first verse of the first epistle tells us that He is called the Word of life. Here He's the Word of God. There He's called the Word of life. And then in the second verse, He is referred to as that eternal life that was with the Father. The Word is life. The Word is life in many different ways. The Word is the origin and source of life, for He gave everything breath. Paul declared that on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He holds us in life. 
We are bound up in the bundle of life. As Abigail explained to David, he was bound up in the bundle of life by the Lord his God. He has power. Listen to this. On Friday afternoon, my wife and I received news that her mother's sister has inoperable lung cancer and she has no hope. We have, we are full of hope because of the word of life. In him was life. Life. Every single one of you are going to have every bit of life tore out of you. And before you get to die, the life of every organ, the life of every sense will be depleted from you. You will not be able to chew your food because your teeth will no longer live. You will not be able to see because your eyes will no longer work. You will not be able to hear because your audio nerves will no longer hear. And on and on it goes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the first eight or nine verses. But in Him is life. This is the greatest message possible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. In Him was life. He had the power to lay down His own life and to take it up again. I have received this of my Father, Jesus said in John chapter 10. I have power to lay down my life and to take it up again. That is that is the power of life. In Him was life. He could not be held by death, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2.24, because it was impossible that He should be holden of it. Oh, Get excited with me. Not in the flesh. In the Spirit. You are going to die, Shane. You'll bury me first. The life's being sucked out of me every day. But there's one that the life is not sucked out of. His life came back into him in that tomb, and out of it he came. And he sits at God's right hand, alive forevermore, unlike every priest of God's religion of the Old Testament, because every one of them died. Oh, listen to these things the Bible says. He will ransom us from the power of the grave. He mocks death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Why? Because in him was life. He has the keys of hell and of death. How's that for authority? When an important person visits our city or any other city, they are given keys to the city, meaning they have the authority and privilege of the city. Our Lord Jesus Christ has the authority and the privilege of death and hell. Because in him was life. He destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews 2.14 tells us that. He will come with life because Christ is our life. Colossians 3.4 He is the prince of life. Acts chapter 3 and verse 15. The life that now you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God who is alive in you. He will give the tree of life to those that are overcomers. Revelation 2.7 And so He is life in every way that you can think of it. But the main way He is life is He is the source and origin of eternal life. God promised eternal life before the world began. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. God the Father gave Him authority to have life in Himself so that He could raise the dead spiritually. John 5.25 Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. And that is regeneration. Four verses later, three verses later, marvel not at this, the hour, marvel not at that, regenerative power, the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ that called Lazarus from the grave, that called Jonathan Crosby out of death and trespasses and sins. Three verses later, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good, unto the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. All bodies are coming out of the ground. The good and the evil. All of them. By the life-giving voice of the one that will say, Live! 
And I'm telling you, every cemetery is going to get ripped apart. It doesn't matter. Though we believe strongly that Christians ought to be buried, it doesn't matter if a person's been cremated or not. God will gather together the molecules of their body, and their bodies will come back together and stand before Him. It doesn't matter if it's one person or if it's a hundred billion for the history of this world. Both of them take the power of God, and it's no different in a display of His power to do the hundred billion as it is to do one. And he shall do it, because in him was life. In him was life. Jesus told Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you like how John starts out here? I love this verse. In him was life. Isn't it pitiful that your aunt doesn't know, doesn't care? I roamed through the house after getting that call, shouting like I am now. In him was life. Right. We're all going to die, yep. but in him is life. Amen. The first Adam was made a living soul. Are you aware of this comparison in the Bible? 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five. listen to its words. The first Adam was made a living soul. God scooped some dust together, breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So the Bible tells us in the New Testament, our brother Paul, the first Adam was made a living soul. Another was operating upon him to give him life. The second Adam was made a quickening spirit. Not a quickened spirit, a quickening spirit. What does that mean? He is a spirit that gives life to others. Oh, the second Adam. Do you know what the second Adam has done? In Romans chapter 5, he has given the gift of life to all those that are in him that they might reign, reign. What is reigning right now? Death. Death reigns. That they might reign in life by one. One brought death upon us and death reigns because of the sins of one Adam. The second Adam by his obedience for us, gives us the gift of life, and we reign in life by one Jesus Christ. It's this simple. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Period. You say, how can I know that I I have the Son and I have life? Do you want to know? John next said in 1 John, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. We need to stir each other up, and we need to stir ourselves up to believing on the name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the evidence that we have the Son, the Son has us, and we have eternal life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus gives eternal life so that his elect might know the Father and him. John 17, his high priestly prayer to his Father before his death. John 17, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you know what the world's religions teach? In him was light, and the light was the life of men. The Bible says in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The world says we need to enlighten you to believe the particular elements of our religion. Then you can get life. The Bible teaches the opposite. In Him was life, and He had to give us life before we would see the light. Because we wouldn't see Him. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And we're not talking about some poor preacher that messes up the presentation of the Gospel. We are talking about the Spirit of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. In Him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. You meet people. You share the truth with them. They hear the truth. It doesn't affect them. You say to yourself, you may say to them, why can't you see it? I've said it before. Why can't you see it? You know why they can't see it? There's no life. So there's no light. You don't give them light so that they can get life. God has to give them life so that you can show them some light. Jesus is the light of the world, but no one saw him except those that had life. Whose heart the Lord opened like Lydia. Did she want to hear Paul preach about Jesus Christ? Yes. What happened? She had life in her. And so it is with every one of us. The life comes first, then we believe. In him was life. These people that want to take John 3.16. There's 31,102 verses in the Bible. But they want to take John 3.16 and call it the gospel in a nutshell. I think you're a nut if you believe that John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. Now, I have seen the gospel presented with a big hollowed-out walnut with a crank on the side of it and a a crack in it that would allow a scroll to come down so you could crank away and, you know, John 3.16, the gospel in a nutshell. If you're going to do that with John 3.16, why don't you start with John 1.4? Yes. Who is going to see the light of John 3.16 without the life of John 1.4? Quit picking your little candy cane verses without a context. Use the context of John. We have preached a sermon in time past in which we explain John 3.16 using no other writings than John himself. And John himself in the Gospel of John will give you a very different understanding of John 3.16. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life has to come first. Then we believe. John 3.16 is simply saying what God did out of love for his people by sending his son to give them that life that they have to be given first before they believe. Dead men don't believe. You can present the gospel ever so well and it doesn't work. Belief in Jesus Christ is evidence of being in possession of life. You know, we've been through all those verses and I don't want to quote them to you right now. The Ephesians were in darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul wrote to the, the church at Ephesus, Ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Well, what happened to them? It's described in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does the word quickened mean? It means that they were made alive. They were given life first. It is heresy to teach that Jesus Christ is the light, and the light is the life of men. It is truth and orthodoxy to teach Jesus Christ is the life, and the life is the light of men. Are you hearing my distinction, or is it just four-letter words that start with L to you? One of them being five letters. Do you love John now? How does he start off? He's going to have you so well prepared before you get to John 3.16, but they've never read it. It's too many verses. It would cloud their mind to read the Bible. You say, why do you talk like that? Because I was once part of them. I know that they don't know anything about the Bible except John 3.16. Try to get in an argument with them about salvation from any angle. All they can do is say, but it says in John 3.16, Folks, there's 31,102 verses. Grow up and pick another one so that at least you have two. In Him was life. You know, this text ought to be preached at every funeral. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Because Christians get to sit around a casket, and celebrate. Though they miss the person, they rejoice that the person is with the word of life, is with the prince of life, is with the way, the truth, and the life, is with the resurrection and the life, is with that eternal life that was with the Father. Without life, what do men love? Darkness or light? John 3, 
You know, if they'd keep reading past John 3.16, they would be enlightened as well if they have life. If they don't have life, then they're not going to be enlightened. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Let's get verse 19. This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. We want this light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. How are they wrought in God? Because God gave them life to have deeds that they want to bring to the light because they're not ashamed to have the light of Christ shining on their lives because they're living righteously by the life that God gave them. You know, QT understands this verse, don't they? As far as, as far as it goes, does QT understand these three verses? When you drive by a QT at night, how many candle power are there? A couple hundred? A few hundred thousand? Did you see all those lights that are shining down? Why don't they just save a bunch of electricity, an electrical bill, and just have one little light over in the corner on? Because people would come in and steal gas. Steal anything they could get their hands on. But they put so much light down, as soon as you step out of your vehicle, wow, I feel naked. You know, there's so many lights shining on you. It's a principle. Everybody knows it. But this is a whole lot more than that. This is the light of Christ. And this is having our deeds wrought in God by His work in us. We, we can stand before Jesus Christ and expose ourselves to the light because the blood of His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Amen. The devil blinds the minds of unsaved men so that they can't see the light. So what's the cure for that? But God, that commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts right. to show the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is? The light of the world. That is the light of Christ. How do we see it? Because God said, let there be light. After, let there be life. The life comes first. He commands life in us so that we can see the light of Christ. Right here in this John 1 and verse 4. Very quickly, verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. John, in his opening of this gospel, doesn't get past the first five verses without teaching total depravity. Think about it with me. What is the first point of doctrine, usually, when we're talking to someone about salvation, that we should bring up? Total depravity. Every man, every woman, every child, by nature, hates God and loves sin. John doesn't get to verse 6 before he lays total depravity on us. And the light shineth in darkness. This dark world, the light God, Jehovah, I am that I am, creator of heaven and earth, came to this planet. The Judean skies were split open by an angel chorus that announced his arrival. A star led wise men from the east to worship him. He raised the dead. He calmed storms. He cast out devils. He rose from the dead. He raised others from the dead as well. He was the light of the world. Every word that proceeded from his mouth transcends all the teachings of all men as light excels darkness. The way he taught, and the darkness comprehended it not. What nation did he come to? The Philistines? We know they were dark. No. The Egyptians? We know they were dark. No. What nation did he come to? The church of God. He came to the church. The nation of Israel. Look at what look at verse 10. Unbelievable. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. That's a terrible statement to read. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with the world? Sin is wrong with us. Sin is wrong with the world. Depravity kept their minds blinded. 
And the devil kept their minds blinded. Do you know that it says in the Word of God that unless God grants repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, a man can be taken captive by the devil at his will. Whose will? The devil's will can take a man captive whenever he chooses to unless God gives him, peradventure, the gift of repentance. Jesus fulfilled glorious prophecies out of Isaiah 9, 42, 60. Arise, shine, for the light has come, the light of the Gentiles. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the verses are fulfilled in the Gospels like Matthew chapter 4 it tells us that they were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a light in the world, and faith in Him would save you from the darkness of this world. But the only way that you could believe on Him is if He had put His life in you. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. They didn't know what was there. Remember, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 said, if the princes of this world had known who Jesus was, they would not have touched him. If Pilate and Herod had known who Jesus was, they would not have touched him. If Caiaphas and the leadership of the Jews had known who Jesus was, they wouldn't have touched him because he was the Lord of glory. They didn't know him. They don't know us. I've said this many times, and I don't mean to be trivial or foolish. But if the world knew who we were, this building and property would be surrounded by paparazzi because we are the sons of God. We're going to inherit the universe and we're going to cast all of them into the lake of fire. But they don't know any of that because they don't know anything. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how death originated. They don't know how life originated. They don't know anything because they're in darkness. And the light shone in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. We were Gentiles. We were some of the darker ones. We weren't gifted with the revelation that God had given to his people. There are so many verses that I could turn you to. The Apostle Paul, when he would have a chance to preach the gospel, would preach to the Gentiles that they needed to turn from their vanities and worship the true and living God. And the darkness comprehended it not. Because the natural man can't comprehend it. Right. Jesus told his generation, you can tell what kind of weather it's going to be tomorrow by the way the sun sets tonight or the way the sun rises in the morning. We know that, right? right. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Jesus reminded them of that right. in Matthew chapter 16. You can tell what weather's coming tomorrow by looking at the signs. And even though you have timed, dated prophecies of my arrival, and thousands, tens of thousands of miracles, you can't tell that the Son of Man is here? That is blindness. That is blindness. Jesus told through a parable... He told the rich man in hell, the rich man in hell wanted Lazarus to go back from the dead to tell his brothers not to go to hell. And Jesus said, they've already got the synagogue and the reading of the scriptures on the Sabbath day. Uh, Father Abraham, you don't understand my brothers. They don't really like church. They've, they've never really been churchy kind of guys. They would rather golf on the Sabbath day. Father Abraham, please, do you have a better idea? Be, my brothers don't like going to church. Please send Lazarus back from the dead. I, I believe that they'll, I, I think that they'll believe if you'll send Lazarus back from the dead. Do you know what Jesus said? It wouldn't make any difference if we sent a man back from the dead. Luke chapter 16. It doesn't matter what evangelistic efforts you put together, there isn't a single man that is going to see the light unless God gives him the life. What if you don't like the light? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We believe, and we love the light. But what about men who don't like the light of God's revelation? Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge? You want to hear it? Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want to hold on to the light. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. 
to do some very inconvenient things among themselves. They're so stupid and rewired. God jerks wires out of wire nuts and sticks them into another wire nut and wires them shut so that they forget human anatomy, human sexuality, and how it ought to be used. And we're seeing it all around us. And you know where it all came from? We will not have the Word of God read in our schools. We will not have the Ten Commandments in our schools. We will not have creation science taught in our schools. We We will reject this. We will reject that. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And this has happened over the last 50 years in particular. Do you know what has happened in the last 50 years in America? They all have reprobate, many of them have reprobate minds, and the rest approve of them doing reprehensible things. Since man rejected God's light, do you know what God has in store for them according to Jude 1.13? The mist of the blackness of darkness forever. They didn't want light. God has sent light by creation. God has sent light by conscience. God has sent light by providence. God has sent light by scripture. And most of all, God sent light by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they didn't want that light, he has darkness reserved for them forever. This is what the Bible teaches. I have three questions for you. Do you believe the light? Do you love the light? Are you walking? in the light. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Stand with me.